Well, friends, let's pray as we reflect on that interview and that reading and we come to the word. Let's pray together. Father, be with us as we read this together. Be with us as we work through this passage. May it speak to our hearts, nourish our minds and our souls. Amen. Well, friends, we come to this passage as we continue in our journey in John's gospel. You will know that we're in this series if you've been watching for a while. And if you haven't been, we're in this series, John's Gospel. Now, Jesus has just risen Lazarus from the grave. That was last week's sermon. And then what happens, just to have a quick, brief look back so we get the context of what's happening here. Lazarus has risen from the grave. There were loads of Jewish people in Mary and Martha's community. Lazarus is Mary and Martha's brother. And they were all mourning. And when Jesus did this amazing sign, the last sign, he rose him from the dead and many believed. Would you believe if you saw a man rise from the dead four days after he's died? Many believed. But still in view of that sign, many didn't. And those people who didn't, some of them, they went to the Pharisees. They went to the leaders of the Jewish religion and they told them what Jesus had done. Verse 47 of chapter 11 says this. So the chief priests and the Pharisees, they gathered the council of the elders together and said, what are we to do for this man performs many signs? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. One of them, a guy called Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, he said to the whole council, you know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this out of his own accord, John tells us, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. You see, this guy stood up and thought he was saying, Kill a guy and we'll protect the nation. But actually there was a layer there going on. God was speaking through him. Actually through one man, through the death of one man, we see the real protection of the nation. And here we go. Chapter 12. These people, the Pharisees, the Jewish people, the elders are going to try and kill him. So from that day on, verse 53, they made plans to put him to death. Now, friends, they've done this before. They've, they've made plans to put Jesus to death. But here we see the turn in John's gospel. This is the flip point. We've got a lot of John left, but the rest of this book is about the final week of his life. He's lived three years worth in the first 11 chapters. And now John hones in, zooms into the final week of Jesus' life. And he begins, he begins with this story in Bethany. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the guy who'd just been risen, whom Jesus had raised. Now, six days before the Passover, this is how we know it's the final week. But take a look at that word, therefore, in verse 1. Passover was where they were planning on arresting him. They knew that as a good Jewish rabbi, he would go to the Passover feast in Jerusalem. But the words are clear here. It's because 
of what's happened in that council. It's because the Jewish leaders are now trying to really put him to death that Jesus goes to Bethany. It's because the time was right. Now the time is right for Jesus to walk straight into his own arrest and finally his death. It seems odd, doesn't it? But it's because of that Jesus went to his friends in Bethany, only two miles away from Jerusalem, so he could walk there easily when he was going up to Passover. His friends were there. The final week of his life, the turning point of the book, the first sign Jesus did, you may remember right at the beginning, what was the first sign Jesus did? It was the wedding at Cana where he turned water into the best wine. He was unknown then. And he revealed his power to bring life back to a party of people and to celebrate a new relationship well. The signs have happened. The feast where Jesus was fully known is now. He was at a feast and and did a sign where he, he wasn't known. But now there's a feast going on where Jesus is fully known. They know him. They've seen his power. They know his identity. They know his friendship and his love has been revealed. And people are enjoying their relationship with him. This is more than a lecabri for a mate as he passes through town. This is a special supper. They gave him a dinner. The NIV, the NIV translation puts it as it was a feast in honor of Jesus. Lazarus is there saying, this is the guy who raised me. Mary and Martha are there saying, this is the guy who, who raised our brother. We know who he is. This is our best friend. This is our family friend. He is the bread of life, the light of the world, the door to the sheepfold, the good shepherd. He is the resurrection. He is the life. He's the Messiah coming through town on his way somewhere dangerously important. Martha, of course she does. Martha serves the best feast she's ever put her hands to in honor of him. The resurrected Lazarus reclines next to the resurrection he's now living in. Jesus himself, the one who gave him life. And they gave him verse. Now, we see here in verse 3 another interesting word. Therefore, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Therefore, because they were giving him a dinner, she did this act. We have two conflicting characters in this passage, and we need to see both of them well. We have Mary at the beginning. She therefore, what she was about to do was because he was there, because it was in his honor, because Jesus was walking through Bethany, their town, to Jerusalem, a bigger than just a normal pilgrimage to Jerusalem, this is a much bigger journey. Jesus is on his way to his death. And although this might not have been fully known to her, it was to God as he creates this story that teaches us so much in real life. To honor him. To celebrate her brother's life. 
And Martha did what she was gifted in. Mary was doing what she was gifted in. And Martha was doing what she was gifted in to glorify him. She baked, she cooked, she sweated, she served. And Mary poured all she had at his feet as well. Now we have this perfume. And it's an interesting thing of this perfume. It's, is, it, is it a collection that they've all got together? A bit of a whip round to, to buy this nice thing in order for them to do what they're about to do? Or was it a family heirloom that they'd been keeping for generations? Was it an investment? They put all their money in, their savings of the family for a rainy day or a, or a holiday to center parks? Well, later Judas tells us that this nard, this perfume, this ointment was, was a, a whole year's worth of wages. This is real savings. Today, the national average salary for a year is, is just about 29 grand, 29 and, and nine, 29,009 pounds. 29 grand's worth of the best perfume. This is what he is worth to her, 29 grand, straight on his feet. She outpours her love by giving more than any sensible person would. And this giving gave off a beautiful fragrance. It filled the whole house. Friends, when we give more than is, is humanly sensible, we invest in heavenly honor. In worship of Jesus, with our possessions, with our money, with our time, the fragrance of that is unmissable. It smells so pure, so sweet, so great. Mary pours this on his feet. The other Gospels record that she also poured it on his head. But John wants us to, to hone in on his feet. It was the lowliest position. It was the dusty, dirty feet. It was the job of the slave to, to clean the feet of someone higher than them walking in. Mary takes that position pouring the most expensive investment that she has on his dirty feet, sitting there, kneeling there on her hands and knees in the position of a slave, unworthy to shake his hand. And she even takes her beautiful hair. Jewish women did not untie their hair, but she, she would have. And she used that, the most beautiful part of her, to wipe his dirty feet that's her willingness to worship him in humility. But, we come to a but in the passage, verse 4, but, when we worship Jesus with passion, with this humility of Mary, with the abundance that she shows us, someone will always try and stop it. Hearts are either in the light or the dark. Why worship Jesus with passion? That goes well beyond the sensible human reason that God's given us. Judas steps in. He's our second character. Which he brings a comment that makes absolute sense. But behind that sense he's actually hiding a very dark heart. A heart as John informs us that loves money over Christ. The love of human stability that worships at the idol, the dead idol of cash. 
But Judas Iscariot, verse 4, one of the disciples said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? 29 grand. What could that do for the poor in our community? Verse 6, John tells us, he said, it's not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Having the charge of the money bag for the disciples, he used to help himself to, to what was put into it. He used to just take. And Jesus said, leave her alone. Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor, Judas, you will always have with you, but you won't always have. We learn a lot about the heart of Judas as we continue reading in the Gospels and in John's Gospel. But he stands there saying this worship, the amount of giving is not worth its use. It could be used for something better. He's not trying to save the perfume. That's gone. That's on the floor. That's in the air. It's on Jesus' head. It's on his feet. It's in his lungs as he's speaking through the scent of Mary's worship. And Judas snarls at her devotion. And he cries over her abuse of his worship and his devotion, the money. Leave her alone, Jesus commands. Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. As Jen said, anointing in this way was for kings and priests. For great people to show something that they are worth honor. Mary's doing this as an act of worship. Leave her alone. The perfume's gone. Jesus isn't suggesting that the perfume is for his burial. He can't be because it's gone. Although it was also used traditionally for burials. They might have put a little bit of this expensive oil on their loved ones as they died. But the love, the love that Jesus shows Mary, the love that Mary is showing Jesus, Jesus isn't suggesting, well, she should have saved it for my burial, which is going to happen in a, in a, in a week. What he's protecting from Judas, what he's protecting is her love through the anointing of Jesus for a burial. Don't slap her down now. This is what is to happen as Jesus hangs on a cross and is laid in the tomb. This is the first, week, first day of the final week of his life and she anoints him for burial in one sense. But her worship, her abundant, humanly excessive worship, Jesus says, leave her alone because it's that which she needs on the day of my burial. And so on the day of my burial, her worship, her faith, her dedication can be seen through to the resurrection and affect the world. When Judas slaps her down for, for using money incorrectly, Jesus protects her and says, that's the faith and worship and honor that we have through the death and resurrection and we have into real life. Leave her alone, Judas. Your excuse of serving the poor, you will always have them to serve and you should, but I know you won't. That's not how we worship. That's not our mission you will always have the poor to love, as I've loved you. But your first call is to love me. 
which you do not. Friends, it's suicidal to think like Judas. It's suicidal to care for the money over glorification that it gives to God. Judas seems like the sensible person in this story. But the person who spends too much time in worship, spending time with Jesus, too much money on giving to church so that their lives are affected, they're the ones that Jesus protects and calls his friends. They're the ones that when they care for the poor, the poor are affected spiritually as well as physically. The turning point of this whole ministry. We see the polarization of love and hate right here. Even though the hatred can seem sensible, put in a way that that seems to work. Moving from the resurrection of one person, Lazarus, worshipping him to the resurrection of all people. Now without stepping too much on a stereotype, it is Father's Day. And men, we can often be the ones that, that fall head first like Judas. The protection of our lives financially The time we give to worship and study, the money we can give can often be guided by a spreadsheet as opposed to a prayer life. Not exclusively men by any means, but but fathers, just, just take note of this. Your children are learning how to worship from you as well as mum. Be Mary's in prayer. Be Mary's in discussion. Be Mary's in in generosity. Give of your life and your money, your time, talent. Humbly worshipping the one who is about to walk to the cross for you. For your families. For your children. And to us all. But it could be given to the poor. Let's check our hearts. There are the poor. Yes, we have them. Jesus was right. We'll always have them. And we're commanded to care and love and serve as Christians do everywhere. And we should more. But not. Not at the cost of our worship. Not at the cost of our devotion to Christ. Because that's what everyone needs. To see our love of a father and how that affects our lives. How often do we come up with good excuses to serve and love? And we end up not bothering. How often do we come up with excuses to not bother to humbly worship Christ because there's a good thing we could be doing. But actually, instead of going to church, I was going to be doing a good thing. Look after my body, go to the gym, go fishing, go serve the food bank. But actually we ended up on the sofa or in bed. Friends, it's a a silly little example, but, but it really can be true. Trust him. He's about to go to the grave. He did go. He rose again for us. He is our resurrection. And he is our life. And as we live in this life, we worship him in an extraordinary, devoted, lavishing way. And this is safety in Christ. It's good for our hearts. It's good for our lives. It's good for our pockets and it's great for our families. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story that you're giving us through this gospel. 
Thank you for the devotion of Mary. She's so willing to give so much. To be humble. To bow down, wipe his feet with her beautiful hair. May we be that humble. May we know our place. May we love you and long for you more and more. And may we be willing to sacrifice and live in a way that glorifies you to affect the world so that people may know you are a good father. Amen. Well, friends, we're going to move into a time of sung worship. Thank you, Leah and JB, for leading this. And I pray that, that you spend this time just reflecting on that simple story reflecting on your lives, reflecting on, on how we live, what we choose to do, how we choose to give. And let's honor the Lord, me first, in a more extravagant and glorious way. Remember that prayer ministry is there for you if you would like it. For anything, Genevieve and Peter are waiting there on the end of that email. They'll happily pray or pray with someone next to you. Let's be vulnerable, let's share, and let's love the Lord our God.